Hey, I want to welcome all of you that are out there watching online right now and grateful that you're joining us. I don't know whether you live in the Modesto area or the Ceres area, but if you do and you've never been to one of our physical campuses, Modesto or Ceres, let me just encourage you. One of these uh, Saturday nights at our Modesto campus at 6 o'clock, Sunday morning at 9 or 11 at our Ceres campus at 10 a.m., man, you got to come. I just want to challenge you, encourage you. If you've never been to one of our physical campuses and you live in the area, please come and check us out. But regardless, I'm just glad that you're, uh, you're joining us um, uh, right now. So if uh, you want to be happy, if you're looking for real happiness, I mean that deep down happiness, happiness in and I don't know, your singleness, happiness in your marriage, happiness in your, in your career, happiness in your finances, happiness in your education. If you really want to find deep down, lasting, significant happiness, you're tuning in to the right, right broadcast right now. Because the series that we are in here at Big Valley Grace is all about how you can experience great, great, deep happiness in your life. And we call it the uh, Beatitudes. Uh, we're looking at uh, the very uh, front end, if you will, of the greatest sermon ever preached. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5, okay? And before I read that, I'm going to kind of get us there in a weird way, okay? I want to do a little detour, but I think it'll help us understand the Beatitudes maybe a, a little better, okay? So in the book of Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked the question, Rabbi, what's the greatest command in the Scriptures, and without hesitation, Jesus says, the greatest command is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, okay? That, that, that's the first and the greatest commandment. But then he says, there's a second that's equally important, and that is that you love others the way you love yourself, and so the greatest command is that you would love God. And, and then he says, number, number two, equally important, is that you have a, a love for others. You care about others. You care about other human beings, right? Well, when you get to Exodus chapter 20, we're given what are known as the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting that the Ten Commandments are structured a little bit well, not a little bit, almost exactly the way Jesus laid out the greatest commandment. You see, in the Ten Commandments, the first four are all about how we relate to God. The first one is, is that you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, don't have yourself an idol. Don't make for yourself an idol. Number three, don't misuse the name of the Lord. And number four, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. The first four are all about how we relate to God. Much like the greatest commandment. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But when you get to number five of the great Ten Commandments, things shift. And now it becomes about how you relate to others. Number five is honor your father and your mother. 
Number six is don't commit murder. Number seven is don't commit adultery. Number eight is don't steal. Number nine is don't lie. And number 10 is don't covet. And so the 10 commandments, you see a structure. The first four are all about how you relate to God. And then the next six are all about how we relate to one another. That sets up the Beatitudes because the Beatitudes are laid out the same way. There's the same structure. Matthew chapter 5, okay? You, you all there? If not, I think it's coming up on your, your TV screen or your computer screen. It says this in verse 1. Now when he, that's Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down his disciples came to him and he began teaching them, saying, the reason it gets the name Sermon on the Mount is because, as you can see, they're all sitting on a mountainside, okay? And I want you to, I've said this before, but think topography of Oakdale. That's kind of what, what, what the mountains would have looked like right there. And here we go. You want to know how you can find true happiness? You want to know how you can find a deep, weighty satisfaction in your life? Here it is. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It all begins right there, that you understand how poor you are in spirit, how, how sin has goofed up your relationship with the Father. That because of sin, the, the relationship between you and the Father is just goofed up, it's messed up. There's been a cataclysmic uh, separation between you and the Father. And when you recognize that you're poor in spirit, that's when you cry out to God and say, oh God, come into my life. Come in and cleanse me of my sin. And you'll never experience that deep down, lasting satisfaction or happiness that God wants you to have unless you give your life over to his son, Jesus Christ. And when you do that, man, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You know without a shadow of a doubt when you take your last breath down here where your next breath's gonna be. Look at the second one. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. I think this is the next logical step. You recognize you're poor in spirit to cry out to God for his salvation and now you're broken over what it took to bring salvation to you. It took the second person of the Holy Trinity coming here to planet Earth, becoming nothing and hanging on a cross, shedding his blood for you. And God says, look, when you mourn over that, when you mourn over the fact it took my son to bring the healing, the cleansing, the forgiveness of sin, when you mourn over that, God says, I, I want you to know, I'll comfort you when you really have a deep understanding of what it, it took to make everything right. And then he says this, num, uh, the third, uh, number three, or verse five, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is the next logical step, right? You're poor in spirit, you give your life to Christ, you mourn over what it took for you to be forgiven, for your sins to be forgiven, and now you're gonna live a different kind of lifestyle before God. You're gonna humble yourself before him. And his word, his will is going to be the thing that you long to carry out in your life. And then look at verse six. This is number four. Pastor Joel looked at it last week. 
and I watched it online, and man, I just want you to know something. If you didn't have a chance to listen to this message, you need to. Find some time this week, download it, sit at your computer. I don't care, you can listen to it, you can watch it, whatever, whatever it takes. But he, he, he preached on this one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I think that's the next logical step. Now all of a sudden, after you've given your life to Christ, you mourn over the fact it cost God his son. You live humbly before him. Now you go, oh Lord, I really want my life to be one that hungers and thirsts after you, your word, your will, those kinds of, of things. Now, like the greatest commandment, love God. The second, love others. The 10 commandments, the first four are all about him, okay? And then the next six are all about how we interface. Things are gonna shift now in the Beatitudes. The first four were all about our relationship to God and how we're to live out our lives down here on planet Earth. And now, when you get to the fifth beatitude, okay, which is found in verse seven, everything changes. It's now going to be about how we interface with people down here. And he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And that's the, the one that we are going to zero in on. This um, fifth step to real, real happiness. Uh, now, when this was written 2,000 years ago, uh, the idea of being a merciful person was sort of a foreign thought, especially to the religious leaders. You see, the religious leaders were proud, they were arrogant, they were self-righteous, they were super judgmental, and those attitudes don't lend themselves to being a merciful person. It was really considered to be the least of all the virtues when this was written, as I said, 2,000 years ago. Now, what exactly is it? What exactly is mercy? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines it as this, okay? Because I want to give you a, a thought. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And I want you to know, I thought about that a lot. And I like that. One theologian that I really enjoy reading said this, the basic meaning is to give help to the afflicted and to rescue the helpless. It's compassion in action. And I really like that one, that, that one also. Now I think a great picture of mercy in action is found in John chapter eight. This is a super familiar story, but I think we'll see compassion in action, if you, if you will. It says this in verse one. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. So get this picture in your mind. They're, they're at the church, if you will, the temple. There's a huge crowd gathered around Jesus, and he's teaching them. 
As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. (laughs) Obviously, these religious folks had no idea what mercy was or is. As I said, this was one of the least of all the virtues back when this was was written. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? I wonder what was running through this woman's mind. Obviously, I think she's super embarrassed. I think she's humiliated. I mean, here she is in front of a huge crowd that has gone to church, basically. And she's dragged at the front of the pulpit, if you will. Who knows what she had on? And she's being just filleted in front of everybody. Hey, she was caught in the very act of adultery. And by the way, I think in Jesus' mind, at least from a human standpoint, he was in a little bit of a quandary because the law of Moses did say that she was to be stoned. What she was doing was really a crummy thing. Now, what the guy was doing was also crummy, and it says that she was caught in the very act of adultery, the guy should have been there too because the law was clear that he should have been stoned. Let's keep reading. They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, and he stood up and again and again and he said, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he rode in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Now go and and sin no more. Don't, don't, Don't live the way you were living. Don't do the things you've been doing with your life and your body. My father just has a way better plan purpose for your life than that. Go, go and, and sin no more. Beloved, when you read John chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, that's what mercy looks like. The law was clear. The, the law was crystal clear. This was compassion in action. 
Now let me give you a few thoughts as to why you should be a merciful person or why every Christian should be a minister of mercy. I, I would love it if Big Valley Grace was known throughout Modesto, known throughout Ceres where our two physical campuses are, known throughout whatever home that you're living in, whether it's in Modesto or some other place online. I would just love it if the people of Big Valley Grace were just known as ministers of, of mercy. Let me give you three thoughts why you should be a merciful person. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna fly through these, okay? And the first one is this. You should be a merciful person because God was merciful to you. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on these because they're pretty self-explanatory, but Ephesians chapter 2 says this, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. You see, God had the power and the authority to wipe you off the planet because of your sin. He had the power and the authority to wipe me off of the planet. But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us. Why should you be a merciful person? Because God's rich in it. And you have been the recipient of his mercy, and so have I. Titus chapter three says this, once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of other passages just like this. God didn't, you know, lavish his mercy on you or me because we were good people, because we deserved it. No, we were sinful people. We were evil people. We were wicked people. We were enemies of God. But he bestowed mercy on you. He was merciful to you. Hosea chapter six, the great prophet, God said this through the great prophet, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So my first thought is you should be a merciful person because God was merciful to you, okay? That's, that's number one. That makes sense, right? Let me give you another thought. Number two, you should be a merciful person because you're gonna need more mercy in the future, okay? That's pretty simple, isn't it? 
James chapter two says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Here's the bottom line. Has God been merciful to you? Yes. Has God been merciful to me? Yes. But the reality is, you're going to need more mercy. And so am I. So am I. And so the second thought is this, is that you just need to be merciful because you're going to need God to be merciful to you some more. And thought number three, you should be merciful because showing mercy makes you happy. There's something, something that happens within our souls, our beings, when we are like God and we show mercy. Let, let me take us back to our text, okay? Blessed, happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, Jesus isn't saying that if you show someone mercy, that they'll show you mercy in return. That, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Because you can show mercy to someone and they may not show you mercy in return. What Jesus is saying is, is that when you show someone mercy, God shows you mercy. God will be merciful to you. That's what he's saying. So, it's, so don't get confused that, hey, Pastor Rick, man, I, I've been merciful to people in the past and they weren't merciful back. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that when you are merciful, it doesn't matter what the other person does because God will show you mercy. And let me tell you something. When you're shown mercy, whew, ooh, that'll make you happy. That'll bring joy to your life. That'll bless your life. When you know that God is extending more and more mercy to you, man, let me just tell you something. That is when you experience great, great happiness. Happiness at a whole nother level than the world can offer. Proverbs chapter 11 says this. The merciful man does good for his own soul. And he's right. And the reason why it's good for a man's soul or a woman's soul is because when you show mercy, God extends more mercy to you. But he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. In other words, if you don't extend mercy to somebody else, guess what? You... You're just goofing your own self up. So these are three of many reasons you should show mercy to others. Number one, God was merciful to you, right? Number two, you're gonna need more of God's mercy in the future. And number three, it'll make you happy when you're merciful. Now, with the few minutes I got left, I want to get super practical with you, okay? The, 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 those three made sense. If you've got a half a cell working in your mind, you see easily why we need to be people who extend mercy to others. Now, here's how you do it. You show mercy when you're patient with people and their faults. 
This is a practical way that you can show mercy to somebody else. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to leave a life, lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. I think since Genesis chapter 3, okay, you go back to the very first book of the Bible, the third chapter of the Bible, sin enters into the equation of life, right? Adam blows God off, and, and, and now we all are goofed up with sin. Ever since that moment in Genesis 3, let me tell you what we're experts in. We're experts in seeing the sin and the junk and the crud in other people's lives. We're really, really good at it. We see their quirks, we see their weird mannerisms, their idiosyncrasies, their odd behaviors, their crummy habits or whatever. And one of the ways that you show mercy is when you're patient with all that kind of stuff. That's a practical way that you can show mercy. Peter said, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Now, this doesn't mean that we as Christians are to overlook sin or sinful behaviors or whatever. Obviously, Jesus didn't overlook the woman caught in the adulterous you know, sin. He tells her to go and sin no more. But I do like what one scholar said. He said, it means specifically that a Christian should overlook sins against him if possible and always be ready to forgive insults and unkindnesses. And let me get super specific with everybody. Um, those of you that are married, okay, I'm gonna talk to the guys just for a second. Men, I want you to know that you're married to a sinner. Now let me talk to the ladies just for a minute, if you're married. Ladies, I want you to know that you're married to an even bigger sinner. <laughs> and here's the deal. Two imperfect people can't make a perfect marriage. You have faults, and your spouse has their faults, and if you want to have a great marriage, you've got to learn to be patient with each other. You've got to learn to be merciful with each other. You've got to learn to be forgiving with each other. You see, marriage is the union of two great forgivers coming together. Marriage is the union of two people who extend mercy to one another. That's what makes a great marriage. You show mercy when you're patient with other people's faults, and that certainly has to mean your spouse, doesn't it? I think the reason why most marriages fall apart is because, frankly, one or both people stop being merciful. They don't make allowances for each other's faults or whatever. Number two, the, you, you show mercy when you're a blessing to those that hurt you. Yeah. In Luke chapter six, it says, 
Jesus said, but love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And I want you to know, this is a hard one. You show mercy when you're a blessing to those that, that, that hurt you. I mean, nobody wants to be a blessing to their enemies. Nobody wants to be merciful to their enemies. But that's exactly what God did. He was merciful to you. He was merciful to me. He was merciful to me, and I didn't even believe in him. He was merciful to me, and I was using his name in vain and, and doing all kinds of crummy things. I, I, was, I was mocking his followers and making fun of people who went to church. I, I was an enemy of God, and yet he was merciful to me. He sent his son to die on a cross for me, even though I didn't believe in him, even though I thought he was a joke, even though I thought he was, it was you know, just a, a fantasy in people's minds. Psalms 145 says this, the Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. The Lord is good to everyone, everyone. He's good to even those who aren't believers. If you're listening right now on your computer or your phone or on some TV, you know how I know the Lord is good to you? you go, go, go back to that other slide. You know how I know he's good? It's because you're still alive. Your, your heart's beating. That's his common grace to you. That's his mercy towards you. The fact that you have a job, a career, the fact that you can afford your computer or your TV, the fact that you have a, a roof over your head, whether it's a home you bought or an apartment you have, the Lord is good to everyone. whether you're a believer in him or not. And if the Lord is good to everyone, let me tell you something. For those of us that name his name, wow. We need to step up our game in that area. And I read a lot of stuff on Facebook that, that's troubling it's okay to have different political viewpoints. It's okay to not see things eye to eye with other people. But man, it, it, some of it starts to get really ugly. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me tell you something. Maybe, maybe you, and this includes me, maybe we need to have a little bit more mercy in our responses and things to people. And number three, kind of goes along with number two. You show mercy when you care about those that don't know Jesus or those that are confused about, you know, the teachings of, of Jesus. I love Jude chapter, or Jude 22. God says through our brother, be merciful to those who doubt Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy. Look, 
You and I are gonna run into people all the time. I know I do every day. People who don't believe in God, people who um, think this church is stupid, all they want is your money or whatever. We're gonna run into those people all the time and God says, I want you to be merciful to them. We're gonna run into people all the time who, I don't know, maybe they are confused about scripture and maybe they believe some things that, that, that you don't believe and, and they're confused. I, look, one of the great ways you will extend mercy to them is, is when you care about them. In Matthew chapter nine, there's a really great story that illustrates this principle. Verse 10 says later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other uh, dis, uh, reputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? By the way, that's the NLT, kind of like that. <laughs> you know why I like that? I was scum. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. That's a quote from Hosea. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. See, one of the things about somebody who's merciful is they love to hang out with lost souls. They love to hang out with scum. They like to hang out with people that are just maybe hostile to the, to the things of God, the unpopular, the riffraff. So this past week, I'm gonna end with this story. This past week, uh, a, a notorious uh, person, Larry Flint, passed away. Most of you probably know who he is or was. He was the founder, the editor of uh, Hustler Magazine, okay? And um, Pastor Brandon and I actually talked about this like last week or a couple weeks ago. But here's this really crummy guy, right? Creating crummy magazines. I mean, this guy was scum. But him and Jerry Falwell, after they had a bunch of tension, actually became friends. Jerry Falwell was the founder of the Moral Majority. He had Thomas Road Baptist Church and started Liberty University. And they became friends. Like, really good friends. They would travel around together and do debates together and all kinds of stuff. And it bothered a lot of people. There were a lot of people in Jerry Falwell's circle who were not happy with the fact that Jerry was hanging out with this notorious sinner, with this, you know, this scum, if you will. And Jerry Falwell actually spoke at our church. So did his son. And when his son came and spoke here, he actually retold the story that his dad shared right here at Big Valley Grace two decades ago. I remember it. 
But they came to Jerry, his, his boy, his son, asked Jerry, John, Jonathan Falwell, who's Jerry's son. Jonathan is now the pastor at Thomas Road. Jerry's now with the Lord. Jonathan, when he was younger, asked his father, Dad, why are you hanging out with that guy, Larry Flint? Why, why, why would you be with him? Why would you take him on you know, an airplane with you to go speak? And I'll never forget what Jerry said. Jerry looked at his son and he said, son, I pray that someday God draws Larry to himself. I pray that someday something happens in Larry's life where, man, he wants to talk about spiritual things. I pray for that son. And I want to be the person he calls. I want to get the phone call. In other words, Jerry Falwell was being merciful to this man so that if that man ever wanted to talk about Christ, if that man ever needed to talk about spiritual things, the first person he'd call would have been Jerry. Now, I don't think that phone call ever happened, but I loved that story. You see, that's the heart of somebody who's merciful. They don't look at the lost as the enemy. Those are people who need the Lord. I'm thankful I had a lot of merciful people in my, my life before I gave my life to Christ. I'll end with this. Malachi chapter six says this. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. And then he says, here it is, to act justly, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Here, here we have the Lord through the great prophet Malachi kind of boiling it all down to us. And what does the Lord require of you, Christian? Act justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly before our God. And when you do that, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. And why is there such deep happiness when, you're, when you extend mercy to others? Because God then bestows his mercy on you. Father, thanks for a chance to be together through the internet, modern technology, and I hope that somehow through all of these songs and oh, the prayers and the offering and this message that you would be at work in special ways. And now as Brandon comes to close out our time, God, thanks for your goodness. And I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, blessings, everybody.